talk to me about that. Like, how was it hearing something that you created um, along with Kevin uh, Prodigy, correct? Yeah. Um, what was that like hearing something that you created by and like being used by Beyonce? Not only that, but also the attention to detail of using the sampled voice of um, Moy. Okay. Moy Renee, as yeah, well Renee. as uh, Kevin Aviance, too. Yeah, like, and Kevin um, Aviance, Like, what was that like? Because that was intentional. Yeah, very intentional. Um, It was just a gag for me. Like, I, um, I mean, I remember once I found out that the whole thing was confirmed and that, like, this was happening. Like, of course, I had a cry moment, like, you know, what is happening and just, like, so happy and overwhelmed with all of that. And, yeah, it was just, just amazing like almost couldn't believe it for a while now for a while and i wasn't also able to tell anybody mm. so i had to hold on to that and not speak to, yeah i didn't even tell my mother right away like it was nobody that i told immediately i held on to that for a little bit this episode is brought to you by abc station 19 is back for its final and hottest season yet Andy finally becomes captain, and she's going to give it her all to be the best leader this station has ever seen. Will she succeed? Get ready for fiery new romances and high adrenaline rescues. Watch the Station 19 season premiere tonight at a new time, 10, 9 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. Yo, 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 what's good, everybody? Welcome back to the Holly's. It's your boy, Michael Butler, and welcome to the season premiere of season two of Convos for the Culture. I am super excited. I am super excited. I feel like it's been a while since I've been here with you guys. I'm glad to be back, and I'm glad that you are still rocking with your boy. Uh, we've been on break since last year, uh, October of last year, and we're going to get this season kicked off the right way a little bit later. I'm going to be joined by DJ Mike Q., Amazing, amazing interview that I uh, had with him. DJ Mike Q, maybe you've seen him on HBO's uh, competition show, Legendary. Maybe uh, you heard his music on Pure Slash Honey. He was featured on Pure Slash Honey um, on Beyonce's Renaissance, al Renaissance album. I love it. I love it. And we had a really good conversation about ballroom culture, about how he met, well, not met Beyonce, but how he got on the album, what it was like being on HBO Legendary. Uh, he spilled a little bit of tea. So we're going to get to that in a minute. Once again, I want to thank you guys. Welcome back. Season two of Convos for the Culture is here. Brand new season. We're going to do a lot of new things this season. So, you know, bear with us as we, we're, we're, we're uh, really finding our footing. Last year, we pushed out 50 episodes. This is the first episode of season two, but this is episode 51, y'all. And I feel so good. I feel so good. I want to thank y'all for rocking with me. If you're not following us on social media, follow us on Instagram at Combos for the Culture, all right? at Convos for the Culture, and um, yeah, just follow us over there. I will give you the Twitter, but I don't really be using the Twitter like that, so 
Convos for the Culture. And make sure that you go to our website, www.convosftc.com. That's www.convosftc.com. We got merch there. You can check out the podcast there. You could do a little bit of something, some, some, sun. All right. Anyways, y'all, once again, welcome. And we're going to get right into it, okay? We're going to get right into it. This is a brand new year, brand new season. It's February 1st, so lift every voice and sing. Happy Black History Month, all right? First of all, uh, that's the thing, right? Happy Black History Month. All right, shout out to the- <laughs> Shout out to all of you on Black History Month. My bad, y'all. I'm just so, I'm just so excited, right? I'm so excited because I love this show. I love podcasting. I love being here with y'all. And let's get to the conversation. So the first thing that we're gonna do today is I've got a jackass of the week. My first jackass of the week. My first jackass of the week of the year for the year. And it is none other than commentator, former sports analysis, the overall Uncle Ruckus, um, you know, tap dancing, shucking, jiving, can't say the C word on here, but we're talking about Jason Whitlock, okay? Now, Jason Whitlock was recently on Fox News, and he was discussing the death of Tyree Nichols. And somehow, and somehow, this old Samuel L. Jackson and Django Negro blame black women for what happened to Tyree Nichols. Don't believe me, just listen to this. This is a story about young black men and their inability to treat each other in a humane way. Everybody involved in this on the street level was either 24 to 32 years old. Everybody. It was a group of young black men, five on one. Looked like gang violence to me. It, it looked like what young black men do when they're supervised by a single black woman. And that's what they got going on in the Memphis Police Department. They've elected some uh, or put some black woman in charge of the police force. And we're getting the same kind of chaos and disunity and violence that we see in a lot of these cities that are run by single mothers. If we want to discuss the breakdown of family that leads to disrespect for authority, that causes you to resist the police and run from the police and not comply with the police because you resist authority at all times, because there was no male authority in your home, let's have that discussion. But that's not where they want to take us. They want to take us down the path of saying, you know what, this is Tucker Carlson's fault. This is some random white, this is Donald Trump's fault. It's not. Jason, 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 what is you doing, bruh? The fact that you blamed a black woman, (laughs) the fact that you blamed a black woman for these black men doing what they did to this black man is disgusting. Like a black man was literally murdered hunted down and somehow you're blaming single mothers right like you blame single mothers and black women i'm so sick of y'all piling on black women now the jackass of the week was almost akon because he said some equally dumbass stuff about black women but 
I'm sure Akon will say something else ignorant, but we got to focus on Jason Whitlock. And I'm so tired of the Jason Whitlocks of the world and these other incels of the world who continually pile, 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 pile on black women. Y'all be like, oh, protect black women until it's actually time to protect black women. And then me, when I get online and I call it out, I'm a simp. I'm sorry that I have standards. I'm sorry that my mother raised me right. I'm sorry that my father raised me right and raised me to respect women. My bad. Now, Jason Whitlock got some flat for this, obviously. Uh, Sierra had to say this to him. As a black man, to get on national TV and say something like this is irresponsible. A lot of amazing kids have come from single mothers. For you to also undermine single black women in the midst of tragedy is so sad. This woman just lost her son. Do better. Do better. <sighs> Jason, you need help. You're a psychophantic, buck dancing, self-loathing, boot-licking white supremacist. Yes, I said you are a boot-licking white supremacist because you could be black and a white supremacist. I know we saw it on the Chappelle show with that skit, right? Y'all want to see my face? Y'all want to see my face? But literally, we have this Uncle Ruckus tap dancing coon. Oops, I said it. Um, And Jason Woodlock, who is making this about black women, single black mothers, making this about black men who weren't raised correctly. I've never heard him speak out against police brutality until the police were black. <laughs> Any other time he's like, oh, why were they doing this? Oh, why were they doing that? But now all of a sudden you want to speak out against a corrupt police system because they're black. Jason Whitlock, you are the jackass of the week. Jason Whitlock, you've been fired from every single job that you've worked at. Jason Whitlock, I want you to keep that same energy with these white folks that you go and you tap dance for. I want you to keep that same energy with these white people who you booty clapping for. And you got a lot of booty to clap. Pause. <laughs> Jason Whitlock, Candace Owens, we need to get rid of these type of black people in 2023. We need to deplatform these black people in 2023 because they are enemies of us. I now know why my grandmama used to say all kin folks ain't skin folks because of people like Jason Whitlock. I want to shout out to every black woman out there, every single black mother out there who's raising their children who's instilling values in their children. I see y'all. I love y'all. I rock with y'all. I act with y'all. So, that's the jackass of the week. <laughs> Listen, I can't stand Jason Whitlock. Anyways, we're going to move on, y'all. We're going to move on to and Also, when we talk about Tyree Nichols, um, and I'm going to do an uh, episode specifically for him, but I didn't want to start off with so much heavy stuff. But everybody who keeps saying, oh, well, why are we calling this a race issue when the cops were black? What you have to understand is the actual police, uh, the whole entire infrastructure uh, of 
policing here in America is rooted in racism, is rooted in um, systematic oppression. You have to go all the way back to how the slave patrols were even started, right? And how the police came from that. So it's a systemic issue. So yes, you can be a black cop, but you are still a black cop serving in a systemic, a systemic racial, um, uh, what's the word that I'm looking for? Organization, racist organization. Because they've never seen us as people. It's always been as property. And you could take, you could take that for what it is. I'm going to have some people on the show um, in the next couple of weeks that will be able to speak to this on a greater level than I can and articulate it on a greater level than I can. But I really want y'all to stop these talking points of, oh, well, it's because uh, blah, 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 blah. No, American policing is racist, period, point blank. All right, now that we got out that way, got that out the way, I was on uh, social media this morning and I seen the craziest thing, something that would make Harriet Tubman roll in her grave, okay? I'm telling you, this would make Harriet Tubman roll in her grave. Because never in my years, mm, my God today, never in my years have, all of my years, right, have I seen something so crazy? Now, I'm going to play the, I'm going to play, let let me just play this clip because I can't even articulate it like I want to articulate it because it's so crazy and unbelievable. So take a listen to this. A former South Suburban school lunch lady is now facing criminal charges accused of stealing more than a million dollars worth of chicken wings. WDN's Andrea Medina has that story from Harvey. This went on for about a year and a half. What the school worker allegedly did with a large amount of chicken wings is still unknown, but she's in custody at the Cook County Jail and is accused of placing unauthorized purchases separately from the district's legitimate orders. 66-year-old Vera Liddell is a former Harvey School District 152 employee. She's at the center of a major theft scheme that brewed during the COVID-19 pandemic when students weren't allowed in the classroom. Liddell worked for Harvey Schools for more than a decade. She was a food services director, but after her tenure, she was hired as a consultant in July 2020. In that role, she was in charge of placing food orders. Between July 2020 to February 2022, Cook County prosecutors alleged she used her position to embezzle $1.5 million from the school district. Court documents accuse Liddell of ordering more than 11,000 cases of chicken wings from the district's food provider, Gordon Food Service, GFS, and picking them up with a district's cargo van. At this time, it's not clear what Liddell did with them, but a proffer presented at her bond hearing last week says the food was never brought to the school or provided to the students. It goes on to say even though the children were learning remotely, the school district continued to provide meals for the students that their families could pick up. The scheme was uncovered January 2022 by the district's business manager during a mid-year audit. The manager found the district was $3,000 over its budget and were only halfway through the school year. Court records reveal the manager discovered individual invoices signed by Liddell for massive quantities of chicken wings, an item never served to students because they contain bones. Parents say it's upsetting to know someone may have selfishly taken the funds intended to nourish students. This is the area that we live in. We live in, like, you know, um, middle class, lower than middle, middle class in this area. So it really don't surprise me that somebody would try to get over, but... 
it's kind of sad. Others claim it's not surprising to know a trusted person in their community would do such thing, but they're hoping the district enforces effective oversight over the financial activities of the district. I just feel that um, the people that was watching over that money or who jobs it was, um, they need to be um, looked at because that shouldn't happen. The Harvey superintendent is aware of the charges but declined to speak on camera or give a comment because it is an ongoing investigation. Liddell's next court date is February 22nd. Reporting in Harvey, Andrea Medina, WGN News. Miss Liddell. Now, first of all, this isn't Harvey, Illinois. Um, Harvey is Chicago adjacent, but it's not Chicago, but it's Chicago adjacent. This is why I don't rock with y'all people from Harvey and Robbins and all them places, all right? Because, man... $1.5 million worth of chicken wings. First of all, I thought we had a chicken wing shortage because every time I go to Trader Joe's, every time I go to uh, Mariano's, every time I go to the Jewel, every time I go to the Piggly Wiggly, even though we don't got them here, there's never chicken wings. And that really be disturbing my spirit because I love my chicken wings, right? No stereotype, but it just is what it is. I love me some chicken wings. But every time I go to the store, ain't no chicken wings. And now this grandma... She out here ordering $1.5 million worth of chicken wings. You have to be kidding me. I don't know how this happened. <clears throat> it's crazy to me. Like, I really, 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 really don't understand how this happened. Like, that's a lot of chicken. And what you doing with this? Is you selling it? Is you throwing a fit? Uh, you, you, what? You taking it to the church or for Sunday dinners? You selling chicken to fish place? Like, what are you doing with that much chicken? Where did the chicken go? Sweet, we need answers. We need answers. And Harriet Tubman is rolling in her grave. She did not free the slaves for you to be out here <laughs> peddling chicken. She did not free the slaves, y'all. She would have. Mm. White folks gonna run with this. They gonna be like, "See, I told y'all, y'all black folks love chicken. I told y'all, y'all black folks love chicken." But listen, <sighs> the bigger issue is. It's not even the chicken, right? The bigger issue is we have to make sure that stuff like this isn't happening. Um, these these school systems need checks and balances because at the end of the day, you have hungry children, right? At the end of the day, there's a lot of hungry kids out here. There's a lot of kids who um, school is the only place that they can eat. I've had conversations about this before um, on the podcast. Um, they come from low-income families, and a lot of times, food, their food is, most of their food is consumed at school. So, when you have this school district worker who's out here stealing, basically stealing, because also, um, as you heard in the clip, <laughs> as you heard in the clip, the chicken wings weren't even brought to the school because they can't serve food with bones in it, right? So now it's like you stole all of this food from the mouths of these kids who are hungry. Where's the money going, y'all? We pay all these taxes and all of this. Where's the money going? I am not one who wants to see black folks in jail, but they need to lock our ass up because this right here is crazy. This right here is crazy. I don't know if she was, you know, selling plates, you know, some chicken, had a couple, you know, three wings, some greens, some macaroni and cheese in, the, in a roll, in a dinner roll or whatever, and a piece of pound cake on the side. I don't know if that's what she was doing, but uh, they need to lock her up, okay? They need to lock her up. This is crazy. 
Um, this is why I gotta eat chicken thighs because you got women, this woman out here <laughs> buying up all the chicken wings, all right? But for real, we gotta like really, really, really focus in on our kids and understand that um, our kids matter, right? And we need to we need to stop stealing from them. We need to stop um, acting like things like this because I saw a lot of uh, conversation <clears throat> around this. They're like, oh, it's not that big of a deal. Why are we making a big deal about it? No, it's a huge deal because at the end of the day, you're stealing from children. All right, that's all I got. That's all I got. What we're going to do, we're going to take a real quick break. And when we come back off of the break, we are going to be with my guest for the day, DJ Mike Q. You are listening to Combos for the Culture, and we will be back after this. What's good, everybody? What's good? I hope you're enjoying the show. Check it out. We are running a campaign right now where we are asking 200 people to donate $10. That's just 200 people to donate just $10. That's a that's a cup at Starbucks. That's, I don't know, it's something, right? But check it out. The reason why we're doing this is because we got some big things planned for this season. We're trying to get into a new studio. We're trying to get some new lighting, some new sound equipment, bring in a producer, and we need your help to do that. So if you rock with the show, if you rock with our content, just go ahead and, you know, donate $10. Now, how do you donate? I'm glad you asked. And even if you didn't, I'm going to tell you anyways. Cash app us at Combos FTC. We are on PayPal as well. PayPal.me slash Combos for the Culture. And we are also on Buy Me a Coffee. BuyMeACoffee.com slash Combos for the Culture. All right. You can do that or you can just go to www.combosftc.com and make your donation that way. So check it out. We need your help. $10 from 200 people. We're trying to reach this goal by our mid season break. And I believe that we can do it. Okay. So if you rock with the content, if you like what we're doing, if you like what we talk about, go ahead and make that happen right now. Now back to the conversation. Um, I'm pretty excited about this interview. I got a really dope uh, guest today. So real quick, I'm going to read their bio before we get straight into this. All right. Make sure that you guys are going ahead and you are rating, leaving a rate and a review of this episode. Uh, if you're not subscribed to the podcast yet, I don't know what you're doing, but make sure you go ahead and subscribe to the podcast. All right. So let's get into it. Mike Q is an American artist and is one of the leading figures of the U.S.'s long-running but still largely underground ballroom slash Vogue house culture. Based in New Jersey, the innovative producer is not only one of the busiest DJs, but he also heads up ballroom culture's first record label, Queen Beat, and turns out a steady stream of Vogue and ballroom tracks, re-edits, and remixes. His clean, spine-snapping DJ sets, music production, and voice is seriously in demand around the U.S. and beyond at clubs, colleges, ballroom events, panel discussions, and festivals internationally in over 20 countries for various promoters and major brands. He has also headlined at major museums and has scored for films and TV shows such as Kiki, Movie, and Viceland's My House. Mike Q also appears on screen as the DJ on HBO Max's legendary Amazing Show. If y'all haven't watched it, uh, make sure you go to HBO Max, who don't pay us, but I'm still plugging it, um, <laughs> as well as FX's third season of Pose. Everyone, welcome Mike Q, also known as DJ Mike Q, to Combos for the Culture. How you feeling today? I'm good. Thank you for asking. Yourself? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Starting uh, the first season off right by uh, bringing you on to the show. 
Um, yes. One thing that we do on the show, just a little icebreaker. We play a game called Black Card Revoked, okay? Black Card okay. Revoked is a game that we play here. And that's when I ask my guests one thing about them that will get their black card revoked. I've had crazy things. Well, I wouldn't even say crazy, but we've had things like, you know, people who've never seen the movie Friday. Uh, we've had things like people don't know how to do the electric slide. We've had oh, things wow. like people put in um, ketchup on their chicken, all right? So, my cue, let okay. us know. What is one thing about you that will get your black card revoked? Um. Maybe, I mean, so I like to hang out the side of helicopters with the doors off and take pictures. And uh, I have a friend That's that a always says, I'm, I'm white peopling when I do stuff like that. I, I, I'd like okay. to hike and be in the mountains and deserts and stuff at night doing whatever. Um, so yeah, maybe that. No, I think I think you get to keep your car for that. Um, I think okay. that's just you being Good. adventurous. I think black people, we have to get out of saying certain stuff is white people stuff, like getting out of our neighborhoods and seeing the world. I think that's right. to be everybody's stuff. Okay. I mean, okay, if something else, I don't do seafood. Okay. No shrimp. That's no shrimp. No catfish. Nothing, none of that. I always got to sit out on the fish fries and mm. all those events that the family does and stuff. So you weren't doing the seafood boils during the pandemic with everybody else? No. Got you. Okay. Okay, that's a maybe, but I don't know. That's but maybe. Uh, are you allergic? Nothing else. Uh, no. You just don't like it? Yeah. This, I used okay. to eat it maybe up until I was like four years old, and mm -hmm. I don't know what happened, but it's a no for me. It's a no for me. Okay. Feel other like, than well, that, I'm black as fuck, so. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I love that. So audience let us know, is that black card revocable? I think your black card is intact though, personally. Nice. All right, so let's get into it. Let's get into it. Um, so you grew up in New Jersey. Just tell us a little bit about your upbringing. Um, well, I just, I had a normal upbringing, um, full family. I uh, lived in uh, one family house with pretty much everybody and just was always surrounded with my mom, my grandmother's sisters, aunts, cousins. Um, as a child, I was always not into like, you know, doing a lot of the sports and stuff, but I was always being creative or just into science, growing plants, doing shit like that. Um, but pretty, pretty normal, just a, a normal kid with it, whatever that is. When did you get into so like when did you start um knowing that you wanted to get into music DJing produce uh production like what was it about your upbringing that is it something that you always loved as a child is it something that you got into in high school or college tell me about that um well I didn't really get into doing music production and DJing this was not until I was in high school and I went to my first party which was um the Globe in Jersey, which was like a, a gay party that I had always heard about, um, but you know, was always afraid to go. And <laughs> upon going there my first time and being exposed to just, you know, club life and a small part of ballroom, I think that that first moment just took me in. So I found myself there every Friday, pretty much after that until I started producing, which was probably a year later. 
Um, but in Jersey, like we always grew up on just listening to house music, Jersey club, or actually in its early stages before that really popped off, it was Baltimore club. So they would have like CDs out, or if you go to the skating rink, you would hear the club music there. So that was always like a Jersey thing just to hear those kinds of beats and stuff. But I was never into producing or DJing. It was just a type of music that I enjoyed. That you enjoyed at the time. Yeah. Speaking of Jersey Club, for those of uh, the listeners who don't really know their music, the Jersey Club, the sounds that we use, like we hear almost every single day on TikTok, where they go ahead and they remix the old school songs. Mm hmm. Okay. Are, are you asking? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm yeah, asking. That's, that's, it's, yeah, it's definitely, it's like a, it's a global thing now with Jersey Club. It's, it's really like taking off. So from Little Uzi Vert to uh, Coyle Ray, you probably hear that that mix right now. The players remix, right? Yeah, that's yes. a real big thing. She actually just did a video for that in Jersey here. So awesome. It's awesome. popping off. Awesome. Yeah. That sound is taking over. I hear it every, like, like I said, I can't get on TikTok without hearing some new remix and the kids are dancing. <laughs> Um, all right, so you said so you said the 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 um club was called the globe, you said, yes, so how old were you when you first started like attending there going to that club? I think I was about seventeen eighteen okay. um it was definitely one of those like underground type of parties, mm-hmm. uh so pretty much almost anybody could get in. Um, but just, you know, a lot of teenagers and stuff. Right. Um, but yeah, I would have to say about 17, 18. So throughout high school, um, because uh, obviously we know black community, LGBTQ is kind of, uh, what's the word? Taboo sometimes, right? Um, mm. How was that for you growing up? Was it an issue? Were your family and friends accepting? Um, how did that work out for you coming up? Um, it was never really an issue. Um, okay. maybe because awesome. I was I wasn't like you know out or mm. you know doing doing those types of things at the time growing up. So it, no, it was it was never an issue. Um, that yeah, just never came up. Okay, so when did you quote unquote come out? I wouldn't say I ever really did. It was just uh, I don't know. I guess you know some and some people you can almost see things. I've heard my grandmother say this one time, like the way I hold my head, like she just like knew or something like that. But it was never, hey, I'm you know this way. But if you are watching what I do and you know the things that I'm a part of, you can just put it together. Right. So do you think I'm glad that you said that? So you just exist, basically. Yeah. 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 Do you think that should be something that we have to do? Should there be a moment where you're like, hey, y'all, I'm coming out, I'm gay, or hey, I'm bi, hey, I'm et cetera, et cetera? Not at all. Like, that's nobody's business, or it's not It's not a thing that needs to be announced. Mm. I like that. I like that. So that is where you, so it was around that time that you got into ballroom scene. Um, talk, talk to me about ballroom culture. Um, or I know what it is, but what is the purpose of ballroom culture? Somebody who's listening to it and they just don't know. Because for a lot of people, their um, exposure to ballroom was either Pose or Legendary. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, a, a lot of people, you know, are hearing it with that. Um, or they take it in as being like a, a entertainment thing, um, which it is very entertaining, but it's also, it is a, a culture that is, you know, 
built off of off of the lives of you know black and brown yeah. uh trans women because uh, that's who started ballroom and just you know the, the the minority that there is of you know gay people and it was just a space that was made for them to come to with themselves and be accepted within that and you know make their own world and um a lot a lot of people that are in ballroom not a lot of people that are in ballroom but a lot of things that have brought people to ballroom which has maybe been like their personal lives and haven't had such a normal upbringing or have been thrown out by their families and not accepted and have come into ballroom in one way or another and you know just had a whole turnaround on that so it's more than just entertainment uh for a lot of us and i see it um from what i see it's um it's a lot of family correct it's like a family aspect to it yeah uh so and that's with with the houses um there's different houses which i would say you compare to like maybe a fraternity or a sorority or something like that and they're just built off they have the mothers the fathers and then all of the members of the house which they are you know families and they can support each other in and out of ballroom have you seen a difference between, um, I hear a lot of people say, you know, ballroom's not what it used to be, right? We hear that a lot. Ballroom's not this, ballroom's not that. Um, have you seen, is there a difference um, in how ballroom is today versus what it was maybe 15 years ago or maybe it was back in the 80s when it started off? Um, definitely. Uh, ballroom is, is forever changing. Um, there's always going to be different eras of it. Um, what I what would make me say ballroom isn't the same. Um, I don't know. I don't know. It's it's definitely more. We have more people, and is is it has more shine out in the world now. People know about it, and then just the people that are in ballroom now have had to like double or triple in in that time. Um, so it's a lot to take in. There's a lot going on. Um, different times, different cities, different countries. It's always a ball happening where before it may have just been a few balls per year, uh, you know, where they were heavily attended. Now everything is a little bit more spread out and it's like, you know, a pick and choose thing. You have to, you know, really think about what you're going to attend, what you're going to walk now okay. versus before where, you know, it was smaller. Understood. Understood. So, do you um you just you just do okay? So, in ballroom, do you do just the DJing, or have you done categories, et cetera, et cetera? Like, where? How do you live in this space? Uh, just just DJing and producing. Okay. Um, I've never walked a ball. I don't think I don't think I would. I've thought about it at times. Right. Um, but I I like I enjoy being in the the background of things. Mm -hmm. Um. So if I wasn't doing music, I would probably be doing video or photos or something like that. Um, something in that creative realm rather than being on the ballroom floor. You do photos though, correct? Um, yes. I think I read somewhere that you're a photographer. Uh, I, I wouldn't call myself a photographer only because I know so many photographers that have, you know, went to school for those things and really have like really good professional careers behind that. It's for me, it's more of a hobby, um, which started 
because I was traveling to so many different countries DJing and I didn't just want to keep taking iPhone pictures, not knowing if I would be able to come back to this place. So I wanted to get, you know, a nice keepsake of that. So that's what started my photography. And I've been doing that for eight years now. Oh, wow. That's awesome. Um, speaking of countries, what's the best place that you visited? There's so many. Um, I have favorite places, which uh, I, I would say Tokyo, which is that's the first mm -hmm. country I ever went to back in 2011. I would always say that's the most fascinating place. It's just so different there. Uh, the people, the way it looks, the the shopping. I just love everything about it. Um, but my favorite place to like DJ is definitely like anywhere in the UK. I just feel like they understand or just get into the music in a different way. Which yeah. I mean, I, I've enjoyed everywhere that I play. I have had good gigs everywhere, but it's something about the UK that stands out as far as that. Yeah, I agree. Um, I, I I lived overseas for a while. I think just overseas, especially in Europe as a whole, um, they just they just move differently, especially when it comes yeah. to like partying and clubs. Um, I lived in Germany for a while, and their club scene okay. is one thousand percent different than our club scene. We're here. We're DJing. Um, you know, people are starting to really know who you are. Um, you know, you're uh, a lot of people credit you for bringing your sound um, to the mainstream. The you know, bring everything to the mainstream. Talk to us about how you kind of take the old sound of ballroom and mix it with current day hip hop. Like, what was it that really gave you your unique sound? Did you have certain inspirations that you kind of modeled off of? Like, how did that? How do we get to the signature Mike Q sound? Um, well, there's definitely inspirations. And I would say my main number one inspiration for what I do would be the icon Von Allure, uh, who who is the creator of the modern sound of Ballroom. So even that first night when I went to the Globe, it was one of his tracks that I heard that was like just different. It was different from the house music or the Jersey club or Baltimore club that I had heard, but it was still this kind of dance beat. So hearing that, I don't know, it was just something different that took me with that. And it led me to wanting to find more of that specific sound, um, which led me to the clubhouse in New York and stuff. But um, yeah, definitely he's a big inspiration for that. And he did like a lot of, a lot of remixes and, for the high dance as well as other house tracks that the ballroom used like the witch doctor or work this pussy and what he would do is take those older tracks and sample them into the newer tracks so it's just that hearing hearing this new track with this familiar sound or voice that you have heard in this other track that you have heard at balls it's just like you know that's how the sound kind of went so a lot of a lot of ballroom music is heavily based on sampling doesn't mm -hmm. have to be but that's where a lot of that's where i get a lot of that from so i would take you know some of some of that some of jersey club some of house and you know put all of those things that i've been exposed to into my music i love it i love it i love it so i got a question um while i was doing my research on you and whatnot um i read some stuff talking about you do a lot of work and you're um use your platform to kind of speak out against some corporations um appropriating ballroom culture um 
what is that appropriation? What does that appropriation even look like? Like what's happening that people are appropriating ballroom culture, but not giving credit to the people who founded it, the people who are, you know, living in that space? Um, so with, with its popularity and, you know, just being exposed with, you know, social media and stuff like that, you're going to have other people coming in trying to do or duplicate what it is that we do. Um, so this one specific thing, I think it was like a thing with Apple where they had hired some other producer to make this ballroom like track, which sampled the hot dance. Um, and you know, that, that whole situation went to this white DJ who is not a part of the scene, not a part of the culture, but wow. now he's, you know, got paid for this when it could have been somebody who has been here and has done this. So um, with that, you also have a lot of people with the voguing as well. And I, I noticed like a lot of people who may have went to voguing classes, like that's how the scene got bigger, especially in other places. There might've been somebody that went to a voguing class and you know, you got 50 people at this class and they do one or two classes and then start going to balls and like they're in the scene that way. And then they go because they're in Europe or just somewhere that's like not where most of American ballroom has existed. Now it's somewhere else and somebody else who may have only been doing it for a year or two and maybe not even that great is now getting booked for ads and gigs and things like that to do or put on display this new culture that they have found. I get that. So is ballroom... Is it safe to say? Because I've always thought it was personally, but um, would you say that ballroom culture is black culture? Definitely. Um, okay. Um, definitely, but but it is it is an open culture um, that you know that that does allow others to come in and be a part of it, which is, I mean, not a bad thing. Um, so you don't think that? I don't know. <laughs> you don't think it should be? Um, because I know some, certain people feel that. Ballroom culture should be gatekept more than it is. It it should have been. Um, it might be too late now. I don't know. <laughs> it's it's so much of it out there in so many different places. It's like if you're in ballroom, you are able. You have that piece of it, and you're able to go out and do with it what you want. There's no cohesive or collective community trying to say, "Hey, we need to do this or allow this or stop that." So anything I asked today, by the way, um, feel free to go ahead and hit me with that pass because I don't like to um, mess up no bags for nobody, right? Um, okay. I know last year um, there was a lot, there was some controversy sitting around uh, Meg Thee Stallion, obviously with the Tory Lane stuff, but that's not what we're talking about. But um, with the music video, her and a lot of people said because of the because of her connection to Legendary, um, because of the style of the song. And because of the attempted style of some of the dancing in the videos, they feel like she should have featured people within ballroom culture. Um, how do you feel about that? Um, these artists, because that sound, that ballroom sound, and we'll talk about with Beyonce, obviously is going mainstream. We saw uh, Drake hit a lot of the house type music with his last album. Mm -hmm. um, Doshi, she, um, she hit a lot of that music. Um, Meg the Stallion with her. Do you feel like these artists should um, have some form of representation from the community when they go ahead and they kind of bring this music um, on their projects? 
Definitely. Um, and, and I remember hearing that specific song and thinking like, okay, this is definitely ballroom inspired. Um, yeah. I did like the song. Uh, it's pretty catchy. I think I've only played it like maybe one time. Um, and yeah, they should have a ballroom representative. Now, she did have Honey Balenciaga in the video. I don't know if anybody noticed, uh, mm, but it was- I did not notice. Um, the one with the with the Bob. Um, I'm guessing he's in, in drag uh, in the video, but Honey Balenciaga isn't there. He's just multiplied. Uh, so he's like five or 10 people, but he uh, is in that video. Um, so that was, that was the only person I believe that was from ballroom in there. Um, and yeah, that this is a thing now where artists are starting to tap, tap into this and not always go to the correct source for it, which they should, mm. but you know, it's, it's a whole thing, I guess, you know, if they care or not, or, you know. Okay. Um, and we'll get to Beyonce in a minute, but um, all right. So since we're on Legendary, let's talk about Legendary. First of all, the song I love. The song I was listening to Thank it uh, just yesterday. Um, talk to us. How did you get this? How did Legendary become? Um, how did you get onto the team? How did you get onto the show? Um, at first, I wasn't a part of the show. I had just been contacted to submit some music for the show, um, okay. and then that turned into well, we need a theme song. Maybe you can do the theme. So I remember the show had asked me, but they had already had uh, James Blake, I believe, to to produce the song. But he he had the gig already. But he already he's you know he did this the right way. So he contacted me himself and wanted me to be a part of doing that song. So we did we did the theme song. We recorded it in like just one night I had already had a little bit of the beat produced at home and then just went to the studio in New York, did that. Um, after that was submitted, then they asked me to be, oh, well, you want to be, you know, the on-screen DJ for the show. Um, so I agreed to that and that just turned into a thing really fast. Um, so is that your voice on this? That's your voice throughout the whole entire no. <laughs> that's um that's Ash B. Ash B. Okay. She's one of my uh, artists uh, and friend from Queen B. Okay. And I had asked her to do that because it was like a last minute thing. Like she was on her way out of town. I think, I think I believe I had got hit last minute. Like, hey, we got to you know make this happen because we need to submit it. So I had grabbed her up and we went to the studio and did that. And she's not necessarily like a ballroom commentator or anything. She's actually mm -hmm. my friend. Uh, from down the street, we used to hang out, go to clubs together, and she'll be in the car freestyling and stuff. But she has like the perfect voice, like on that for that track. So that's awesome. I love it. Yeah. Um, all right. So with Legendary, I'm going to ask a couple of questions. All right. Um, who was your favorite guest judge? Um, I would have to say that would have to be Dominique Jackson. <laughs> Okay. That was that was my that was my most entertaining filming of the show was with that, um, and then I was like super super like starstruck like when Taraji came or Kelly Rowland, uh, those were also amazing. So actually, we're gonna play real quick that part that went viral. 
about Dominic Jackson, um, when Dominic Jackson and Law Roach had, you know, got into a little tussle. Stunning house, you know what I mean? Like, the physicality They're not and, that and, stunning. and the faces are... Hey, they are stunning. Whoa, 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 let's make sure. No, I am that stunning. As an icon in this community, if you are going to say something, you don't have the power to do that. I am! Bam, 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 bam. Here she goes, there she goes again. I am ballroom. She is an icon, without a doubt. What she's done, for the community without a doubt. But here, this house, she's a guest. Let's not make this a back and forth. Y'all didn't hear to judge each other. Y'all judging them. Let's continue. I need you to sit down for me, please. As a judge, please have a seat for me. I'm not used to this. <laughs> I didn't know what was gonna happen. Talk to me. Was that awkward? Like, I always wonder, because I know, like, how we watch, how we watch at the viewers, how we watch these shows isn't how it happens the day of. I know the days are a lot longer. Um, so when, you know, Law gets into it with Dominique or uh, Law gets into it with one of the uh, contestants, like, how awkward is that experience for you as somebody who's just watching that in, in real time? Um, it's all, I, I always gag. It's always... <laughs> Uh, a mouth dropping moment when those things happen because they're completely unexpected and you know nobody ever is prepared for that or knows what to do immediately so it's just like just to watch and you know because that's always what i'm doing from my little corners just watching and very entertaining moments what was the um dynamic like when it shifted uh well not shifted but how was the dynamic because everybody loves kiki um how was it when Kiki came onto the show? Because like I love Meg, you know, I'm 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 not a hottie, but I love Meg, right? Mm -hmm. Um, but I just felt like Kiki brought something different to the show, a lot more personality. Just like how was that for everybody on set? Um, I think everybody in, enjoyed her. Like Meg definitely brought like that star power to the to the judges panel of the show, but with Kiki, she definitely like I just I enjoy her as a judge actually mm -hmm. more because she really got into it and, and gave people like she really got into what was going on and spoke to people like for real. Mm -hmm. So just that whole part of it, like I, I think it it shifted well and could have worked for more seasons. We'll get to that. So the moment I get one moment, I, Kiki gave so many moments in that last season. Um, whether it was her and Laura Roach when she said, <laughs> you're so tired. Um, but the moment that gagged me was when she had, oh, she, I forget which house it was, but she was talking to that house and she was like, you know, I really love what y'all were doing. You was boom, 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 boom. You know, you had great choreography, great chemistry. So I'm going to give you a six. <laughs> <laughs> and everyone was like, oh. <laughs> Very, she very truthful. She's, she's very, very honest with, you know, whatever and gave you reasons why. So, mm -hmm. yeah. How was it when, so how was it when Kelly Rowland came there? Because Kelly is obviously a legend in her own right. 
Um, that might have been my favorite. I think that was my favorite um, between her and Taraji. They were my two favorite guests. Um, how was it with Kelly on set? Um, it was it was nothing different, more or less, from any other taping. Because you know, usually the judges are. I'm I'm on the DJ booth, which is the opposite side of the judges. So, okay, I'm just seeing from across. Um, the only time she was out was um just when we were filming because they do a run through beforehand but they have people that fill in you know for the judges just to make sure everything is timed right and stuff so i didn't get to see her until it was time for the show to tape but i knew that she was going to be there which we don't find out until i believe the night before or the day of who the guest judge is going to be so that was always exciting to you know figure out well you don't know until the night before it's either the night before or the day of oh, um, wow. when you go in and see everything, and then it says who the guest is going to be. So just like, oh, Leslie Jones is here today. Yeah, that's dope. That's dope. <laughs> um, who do you think? Who was the um? Yeah, who was the worst elimination that you felt shouldn't have been eliminated when they were eliminated? Tishi. Yes. <laughs> yes. That was they were they were my favorites. That's it. They were killing it. The Mugglers as well. Uh, also the Balenciagas, but Tishi yes. definitely. I felt like Tishi and Balenciaga should have been the finals in season two. Personally, um, my personals was Tishi and Mugler, but okay, definitely Tishi. We meet on Tishi. I think yeah, we, we I think meet, a lot of people there, feel that way. They definitely shouldn't have been uh top. That was crazy. That was crazy. Um. Okay, so legendary as we know, three seasons, great show. Um, what happened? Well, um, so I had usually the show gets renewed in May, right after it airs. That's how it's been, you know, every season going forward. And I've noticed that didn't happen. The show it didn't get renewed, but it also didn't get canceled. And then September came around because I was I had asked a few people in between, but nobody nobody ever hears anything. So mm -hmm. September is usually when they start scouting out for the new houses and uh, the legendary page will post, you know, whatever to send the email in to whoever. Um, they didn't do that, and mm -hmm. I think by October is when they have everybody and they start getting details ready to go film in January. None of that happened. So just in December, they had finally announced that it was canceled, which I believe is due to the merger with Discovery Plus and yes. HBO or Warner or something like that. So they, you know, cut a few of their of HBO's shows off. Especially the ethnic shows. They also canceled um Issa Rae's um Sweet Life LA. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, they canceled a lot of black shows and things of that sort. Um, there's a lot of people wondering, because we see shows get canceled all the time, but then in the age that we are, um, we see that they get picked up by another streamer or whatnot. Is there any chance that Legendary can come back or is it done for good? I would I would hope so. I haven't heard anything. And if it is, I probably would be the last to hear it. But, <laughs> right. Um, and I was trying to think of what shows have been canceled and picked up by other networks, and I couldn't think of any. But if that could happen, that that would be amazing. It should happen. It's definitely more to go um, with the show. Yeah, I was disappointed because I felt like we could have had a scenario where, like, a couple seasons down the road, we like have an all-star season where we bring out back 
you bring back the Chi-Chi's, you bring back, um, you know, the different houses throughout the seasons. And I think that would have been great to have. Yeah. But we didn't get it. Um, how was it though? Um, the very final season we had the uh, Juicy Couture. Um, how how dope were they to watch in person? I think the the one, all of their performances obviously stood out to me. But like, I have never seen anything like the uh, the week that they did the Freddy Krueger. Like, what was that scene? That it, the shit they did was just like jaw dropping. Like, I. I've always went up for for the houses when they would when they would be out on the floor every season, but the juicies they definitely brought like just this different energy and it was a gag to everybody is because this is the first Kiki house that's on the show and they're really like turning it almost over everything that we've seen so far on the show. So that that was just exciting to see. What's the Kiki house for those who don't know? Uh Kiki House. So the Kiki scene is a sub scene of the main ballroom scene, which originally was just for the youth, um, like maybe, I don't know what age, 14 to like 17 year olds. But I think a few older ones are in there now. Um, but that's what it originated as. And the Kiki house was just a house for fun. So they would just make house names. And it was like, almost like in a, in a joking manner, but it has become more of a serious thing now. And I would say the Kiki scene is almost as large as the main scene is. And you have people who are in both, um, are part of both scenes. So it's definitely a, a new thing that has spread um, since maybe the late 2000s, around 2010, I believe, 2009, 2010. That's when I can remember back to the Kiki scene or doing my first Kiki ball. Oh. Um, what do you think is going to be important for ballroom culture moving forward to continue so it can continue to grow? Because um, I know you want it to grow, but at the same time, you don't want it to be co-opted or appropriated. What do you think like the road ahead looks like for ballroom? Um, that's a hard one to answer. Okay. I, say. I, I, I don't know. Okay. I really don't. <laughs> okay. That's fair. That's fair. Last legendary question. Last legendary question. If there was only, who are you, who, right? If you're, if you're a, um, contestant on the show, um, who are you most afraid of? Law Roach or Laomi? I am. Hmm. Law Roach or Leomi. Because they both have had uh, moments where it's like, phew. I mean, so if I'm a contestant on the show and I'm from Ballroom, it's going to be Leomi for me. Okay. Um, because she's, she's from the culture and she's the one that I feel knows the most up there for sure. And what she says is, is correct. Okay. Bet. <laughs> so, yeah, it, it's, it's her for sure. Yeah. That's the other one. The last one that I had, the moment that stood out for me was the um, <laughs> the Tiffany Haddish episode. <laughs> was that so? When you have those moments, is there like a break in um, filming to let people, you know, calm down, get their stuff together, or is it just like keep going? Uh, the only time it was a break. 
was maybe when Dominique came. And I don't even think so. Okay. They keep filming. It, it's all filmed. Mm. Um, yeah. No, it's never a break. They they keep going straight through. They'll calm okay. down, you know, within the filming, but it, it okay. just goes. So there's a lot you don't see. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. I can imagine. All right. So we're gonna um we are gonna pivot a little bit. Um last year, uh it's been a, it's been a while. Um last year, uh I wanna say was it when did when did Renaissance drop? That was July, in the July. July. That's crazy that we've been sitting with this project for over six months now. Yeah, right? That's where that's, are the visuals? <laughs> listen, I want those visuals as much as uh anybody else. So now, um let's talk about it. You're on Renaissance. Um now I know a lot of people didn't know that they were on Renaissance until Renaissance came out. Um, what's the lady's name? Show me love. Is it Robin G? Robin S. Robin S. Robin S. Show me love. She when you know she went on live talking about it, and she was actually she was shocked, she was surprised, but she was also happy because her streams went through the roof after you know Beyonce first dropped "Break My Soul." Um, then we also know that uh, Khalees has some issues with energy uh, because mm. of the interpolation of her song, one of her songs. Um, did you find out the same way, or did you know that your music was going to be sampled on Pure Slash Honey? Uh, I knew. I don't know what everyone else's okay. issues was. Maybe they didn't get the email, but that's how I found out through an email, which I almost could have missed. Um, it was in my inbox, because I think it was a first email. It was in my inbox for a couple of days before I had noticed, and I think I got sent a second one. Okay. And um, I just seen Parkwood on there. Yes. Um, actually, I responded. I responded to the email first. It was asking about the song feels like, are you a producer and you have the master and publishing and all that stuff. So I responded, yes. But after that is when I saw Parkwood and who I was responding to. So I had um, sent that to my manager and I had asked, I was like, is this, you think this is, you know, Beyonce's company asking this? So I had got him, you know, involved with that and sure to find out that's what it was um and this was maybe two weeks before the album uh was dropping um that i found out but it was like a whole fast moving thing of getting paperwork together and doing wow, this so and that. That quick. And yeah very a very fast thing so it was already wow. you know everything was already done right you know of course and then um yeah. i would say maybe two three days before the album came out I was able to go into the Parkwood office in New York and hear the song. Um, so that was a pretty cool experience. And so talk to me about that. Like, how was it hearing something that you created um, along with Kevin uh, Prodigy, correct? Yeah. Um, what was that like hearing something that you created by and like being used by Beyonce? Not only that, but also the attention to detail of using the sampled voice of um Moy. Ke- Moy Renee yeah, as Moy well Renee. as uh Kevin Aviance too. Yeah, like and Kevin um, Aviance, like what was that like? Because that was intentional. Yeah, very intentional. Um it was just a gag for me. Like I um I mean I remember once I found out that the whole thing was confirmed and that like this was happening. Like of course I had a cry moment like you know what is happening and just like so happy and overwhelmed with all of that and yeah it was just just amazing like 
almost couldn't believe it for a while now, for a while. And I wasn't also able to tell anybody. Mm. So I had to hold on to that and not speak to, yeah, I didn't even tell my mother right away. Like it was nobody that I told immediately. I held on to that for a little bit. Yeah. Um, that's, um, one, definitely one of my favorites on the project. Like the whole project is good from front to back. You can't like, I feel like Renaissance is not a project that you can just listen to like track one and then skip the track. You got to listen to it straight. Yeah. But, um, Pure Honey for me is probably the best song on there. So shout out to y'all. Um, Thank you. It's just the like, so first it comes in like real ballroom. I hear ballroom culture all through it. But then like that change up within the song is like giving me old school Prince, like Prince type vibes, right? Mm -hmm. And then at the end, when they go back to ballroom and you get that hunt, like literally random times throughout the day, I'm like, Hunter, it's Hunter. <laughs> like it's, it's amazing. Um, hopefully you get to, you know, I don't know what you would, you, you know, you maybe be keeping stuff on the wraps, but hopefully if there's some visuals involved, some at some point, if there's a uh, live performance involved when she comes to Jersey, whatever, whatever, New York, hopefully you can be a part of that. I mean, I, I would love to. Visuals, I can definitely say no. Like, nobody knows what's going on. But we all know those videos exist. Um, so which I'm excited to see. They exist um, only because just, you know, seeing the still clips and yes. she has all of those photos from each video already. Mm -hmm. And you can see the, the photo from that's going to be for Pure Honey. And she has the two dancers on the side of her green with the green wig oh. and the outfit. And that's Moira Renee video right there. So like, we already like, know it's it's coming. It exists. I don't know who's a part of it. Um, because of course this is Beyonce. We're not gonna know <laughs> until it comes, but patiently, patiently waiting. Did you um how's that been like ever since, you know, being a part of this? Have you gotten like more bookings? Have people been like, Oh, I need you to be a part of this? Like, what has that looked? Is there such thing as the Beyonce effect? Um I I won't say I got any more or less bookings because of that. Because you were um, already booked and busy. Yeah. Um. So it's just it's just been the same. Nothing. Nothing changed much. Okay. Yeah, that's so dope. Like, but not everybody. At the end of the day, not a lot. Not a lot of people can say, uh, Beyonce. They have a project. You know, they're featured on a Beyonce project. Right. Oh, yeah, and so I'm hoping she gets that album of the year at the Grammys, um, which would be amazing. Um, yes. Yes. So fingers crossed um, for that. Now, why do you think some people were upset that they didn't, quote unquote, know about it? Um, I mean, I guess there's, you know, a, a business way to go about doing things. Um, which I'm I'm learning every day just about this stuff. And I guess, you know, people want to know ahead of time. And I guess, you know, not even Beyonce can just, you know, do things. Me, I was ecstatic. I could have right. found out later and I'm still going to be like, okay, we'll talk the business after. But, you know, right. just I like guess. The, um, the two sexy guys uh, who sing I'm too sexy for my shirt, blah, 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 blah. Oh, um, I forget their names. Yeah, they so were upset because um, she used a little interpolation on Alien Superstar. Really? I didn't know yeah. that. 
When she's like, I'm too sexy for this time. Yeah, okay. Okay. Yeah, they were. They were. I didn't take that from. I didn't think of that song. No, that's my thing. Like, I did not think of that. Um, and I think a lot of it comes to um, it's Beyonce. So regardless, people are always gonna be like, oh, that's my song, or oh, that's this, or oh, that's that, because it is Beyonce. And when you get to that level, anything that you do, people are always gonna find something wrong with it. Yeah. 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 So, okay. So, um, what else do you got going on right now? What's next for you? Um, what do you currently, what are you currently working on? That you can um, tell so, uh, currently I'm trying to get these legendary remixes out. This is a project that was supposed to have been out, uh, while the show was going, I didn't know it was getting canceled. So now I'm trying to hurry up and get that out, which is just remixes of the theme song, uh, okay. which, are pretty fucking amazing so the world needs to hear them i'm trying to possibly have that out next month and then i'm also preparing for a tour back in australia um so i'll be going there i think the end of february and then into march come back go to europe a few times and yeah just booked up and busy and traveling a lot and working on music and projects and stuff like that and that's just it Dope, dope, dope. Normal shit. Where can the people find you? Where can people find me in the house? <laughs> um, I am well on social media everywhere at the only Mike Q, of course, and then in real life. Uh, follow those pages, and you'll see where I'm playing at. Okay. Going forward, um, no U.S. gigs right now. I'm lying. I'm in L.A. February 11th. Um. And that's it for the US as far as now. Okay. Hey, it's still early. It's only January. So we're sure I'm sure the uh the calendar's gonna fill up pretty quickly. It always does. Super dope. Well, I appreciate you for coming on the uh podcast. I wasn't even sure if he was gonna even say yes. I was like, let me see if he said yes. Um because <laughs> I remember yeah, I, you were trying to um you were trying to get me since I think we were speaking since August and I had went yeah. to search for your email and saw the other ones. I was like, oh my gosh. So yeah. I'm glad that we could finally do this. Yes, me too. Because I had um um we had connected after I had made that post that went crazy um about all of the uh LGBTQ influences on um Renaissance, Beyonce's Renaissance. Yeah. And like it was crazy because like you had responded, Honey Dijon had commented, uh T real TS uh TS Madison had responded. I was like, oh my god, these people are actually uh <laughs> commenting on this post it was really cool so yeah i appreciate you uh tapping in yeah thank you my pleasure no problem all right y'all uh make sure that you go give him a follow check him out on uh, his different socials and we will be back after this little break with a final word for this week that was an amazing interview i hope that you enjoyed our interview with dj mike q check him out check everything that he got going on listen i'm about to get out of here um it has been a good first week like I said, there's a lot planned for uh, season two, so I hope that you stay locked in with us. Do me a favor, go ahead and subscribe to the podcast right now so when we drop new episodes, you don't miss no episodes because we got a lot coming. There's a lot of dope guests lined up and a lot of um, edgy conversations. We're going to really push the envelope a lot more than we did last year, so make sure that you stay locked in. Make sure that you stay tuned in. Like we said earlier, we are raising money 
for season two. So go ahead and, you know, 200 people, $10. Uh, and I gave you all the information on where to donate, how to donate. Look in the show notes. If you forgot, you know, you might have a memory like me and you might have forgot. Look in the show notes and we can make sure that you get tuned in, locked in, all of that, all right? Also, leave a rating in the review, fam, okay? Leave a rating in the review because when you leave a rating in review, that pushes us up in the algorithm because I really feel like this is an important show. I really feel like we have a lot of dope conversations that people need to hear. So honestly, we just need to hear it. And also make sure that you are tapped into us over on Instagram at Combos for the Culture. There's a lot of content that we push out there. Um, join the conversation, all right? Culture Holics, join the conversation. All right, happy Black History Month. We got a lot of stuff that we're going to be doing this month, so I'm excited. I'm super, super, super duper excited. Check it out. Also, um, I started a new IG Live series called The Pull Up uh, every single Wednesday night at 7 p.m. Make sure that you pull up. Pull up on me. Make sure that you pull up and uh, join that conversation. Listen, that one really gets spicy. It gets a little wild or whatever. So it's going to be back tonight. The pull up is back tonight. So we will be doing that as well over on the Combos for the Culture Instagram page. That's the, that's the Combos for the Culture uh, Instagram page. I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart. Everybody who has donated to the show so far and everybody who has a desire to. Thank you so much. You're helping out. I just want to thank everybody who listens every single week. The people who inbox me and tell me, yo, I like the show. The people who uh, send like little videos and be like, yo, are y'all going to talk about that? That means that y'all are tuned in and you're tapped in. And that means the world to me. Thanks for being on this journey with me. Season two is about to go crazy. I'm so happy. I'm so excited. I love y'all. Let's start this new month off right. A lot of people feel like they were defeated in January. January kicked a lot of folks' behinds, all right? But what I want you to know is you got 11 more months to go. You got 11 more months to get it right. You have 11 more months to reach your goals. You have 11 months to get closer to your dreams. 11 more months to operate in purpose. So don't let one bad month dictate dick. <laughs> Don't let one bad month dictate the rest of your year. This year is still the year of divine alignment. It is. So you just have to get into position so you can be aligned, all right? I love y'all, and I will see y'all next week.